Okay, we are live on LinkedIn. I'm joined by Ronak Shah, who is the CEO and co-founder of Obvi. This is episode two of e-commerce on fire. And Ronak's gladly going to join us and tell us a bit about how he transitions from an agency owner like myself into the direct consumer world with Obvi, his own brand. And we're going to run through some questions related to e-commerce marketing, and he's going to give us his insights and expertise. Ron, welcome to the show. And let's just start off with the basics. Give us a background on Obvi, how you started the company, and how you've transitioned from an agency ownership into having your own brand. How is it on the other side of the fence? Absolutely. Well, first of all, Adam, thank you for having me. Um, excited to, to be on live um, and um, you know share our knowledge collectively. So, you know, with Obvi, um, we started it last year, June uh, 2019. So we're just about 18 months old now. Um, and prior to that, uh, we had a uh, agency called Ghost3 Media, uh, which we ran for just around six years. And we actually look at our agency experience kind of like going to college, um, where we really went to go and learn. Um, we learned with working with different clients. We, were, we learned what to do, what not to do. We also got to work internally with some of our clients and really understood how business processes work. Um, and so, you know, we, we went to school for basically six years. We got our master's degree. We, we finally graduated. And I think what we look at obvious is our final thesis, right? It's our final kind of project to say, everything we've learned, everything we've done as an agency with other clients, with other um, brands, um, we wanted to take the best practices and bring them to Obvi and try and see if we can cultivate a brand that is truly off the best practices. Um, so after running an agency for some time, you kind of want to do something that's your own. And I think that's really where the fruition of Obvi came into place. Um, it is a women's healthcare brand, uh, healthcare and wellness brand. Um, it is not only for women, but it is definitely targeted towards women. Um, and, you know, we went into this space because our expertise uh, collectively, me and my partners, Ankit and Ashwin, our expertise has collectively been in the health and wellness space for the last eight years. Interesting. And let, let's talk a little bit about your branding as well, because I've noticed a trend, especially in supplements, where it's definitely gravitated towards like really bold striking colors if you look at brands like even magic spoon as well like where does the inspiration from that come from is that something you noticed early on and that an integral part of the branding yeah it's, it's a great question um i think the branding came into play where you know a lot of people i think when, when we're first starting a brand they're kind of confused on who they want to target everyone's obvious answer is i want to reach everybody right yeah. we want to make a product for everybody and as much as that's probably very effective on a top line revenue goal and objective method um i think what becomes concerning is you don't become a brand for anyone while you're trying to yeah. have a brand for everyone and so what we what we've you know seen um as as again while we were in an agency concept um we saw that when we pick a target market a target demo and you speak to yeah. the demo that's where you see the biggest result because you build something for someone that feels, oh wow, this is for me. Yeah. So our branding, we the, before we even kicked off the brand is we are going to build something that's targeted for women. Um, 
you know, ranging between millennials to your baby boomer, that's going to be our target demo. Now, if people younger in their teens want to take our product or people older in their 70s, 80s want to take our product, sure, why not? Um, if men want to take our product, sure, we're going to make it a product that's available for everyone. But who we're going to target was going to be fully focused around that millennial to, you know, baby boomer age. And that's really where the branding started is be loud. Um, if it sits on a shelf, we want it to at least make someone yeah. stop and say, hey, what is it? Now, they may not buy it, but we want everyone to stop and say, what is this? When you're scrolling on Facebook, we want that pink to stop you and say, what is it? And as yeah. long as we can trigger what is it, then we can take our mission, which is becoming the obvious choice, um, pretty much aligned, right? So I think that, that was really our goal around the brand. Yeah, it completely resonates with what you're um, saying about niching down and not trying to appeal to everyone. I think that's very important and also a mistake a lot of people make, even just to take that concept and apply it to our business in the agency world. Uh, me and my business partner like, had a lot of conversations in the beginning, like, should we offer ads? Should we do, you know, content marketing, SEO? And one of the reasons we decided to niche down in email was because we just wanted to really have laser like focus on our target audience and focus on our strengths so yeah it's really interesting and i understand what you're saying about that just going to um talk about the e-commerce platform obviously you went with shopify uh, my opinion is that the market is consolidated really and it's going in the direction now where i think if you're launching a d2c brands that most overwhelming majority of people are going with Shopify. Did you have any other considerations like in terms of Magento, WooCommerce, or was it always from the beginning that you were going to go with Shopify? Yeah, question. I think you're always looking at the WooCommerce or the Magento, you know, um, or big commerce and, and, and the problem, not the problem, but I think the, the, the one thing that people um, tend to forget with some of the other platforms besides Shopify is, you need to come built in ready with the developer on hand when you're yeah. doing anything outside of Shopify. Um, and if you have that, then I would probably, I think all of us um, in our, um, you know, between my partners would agree, probably going custom with WooCommerce or, you know, or WordPress is probably the route to go. Um, but if you don't have that sense of overhead in your team, um, Shopify is becoming, you know, more and more just the obvious choice in terms of uh, you know what what route to go. And I think the second thing that uh, Shopify has, I think, truncated the market in is, is the app store, right, that they have. Yeah. If you can't build the solution, they most likely have something in the app store. And I think it, it, it you know, you can connect it very closely to how when Apple came out with the, with the um, iPhone, yeah. um, it was driven through the app store, right? It was, you could get all the solutions you need through this app store. Um, and Shopify has done such a good job where here's an out of the box package, to build your site, but then you use the app store to really power that site. And you look at Apple and you look at Shopify, um, besides the stocks, uh, their stock market doing well, but um, it's, it's really two similar solutions. Um, and that's why it makes it so easy for people to use. Yeah, definitely ease of use. And we've actually, uh, we're not developers, but we've noticed some of our clients migrate away from things like Magento and Woo based on the reasons you've said, just for ease of use. I yeah. think 
ultimately Shopify's success is that they just make it easy to sell. Whereas there's so many engineering and development headaches now on the other platforms, the people are just going, you know what, let's just go with where it's easiest to sell. That's, I think that that's, that's really it, right? It's um, people don't want to overthink it. Um, yeah. And um, to be honest, the, the barrier of entry of starting an e-commerce brand has become easier and easier, has become smaller. You know, there, there is no real barrier to entry. And Shopify is basically solidifying that by saying, you want a site tomorrow, you can you can probably get it today, right? Um, so I think that's, and I think that that gives people the power. Go just touching on a point before you talk about, obviously you've got apps and plugins that you can easily seamlessly integrate into the store. How do you not get carried away with those um, apps and plugins as you scale up? Because obviously the tendency is to look and, you know, you want all the bells and whistles for this perfect Shopify store. Like, what would your advice be in terms of core plugins and apps that have helped your business? What do you recommend for new business owners and even existing ones to focus on and spend the majority in? Yeah, yeah. You know what? I'd be lying if we didn't fall, um, um, you know, uh, kind of into that trap where, oh, let's add this, let's add this, and your site yeah. looks almost like spammy. Um, <laughs> taking steps back and saying, well, let me get this custom coded. Let me get this made because as good as the apps are, um, as, as same thing on our iPhones, right? They do slow you down, right? They do yeah. slow down your site. They slow down your experience. They, they, they mitigate sometimes the conversion rate that could be happening very easily. Um, I think for us, the apps that we are utilizing constantly and consistently um, is things that are going to make the experience for the shopper easier. Mm -hmm. um, so announcement bars, right? Um, is is huge. Um, Opt-in pop-ups, right? Um, and and making sure that you're A/B testing. That's why we use Optimoc um, instead of yeah. like custom coded solution because we can A/B test with variants very easily. Um, I think anything where if you're going to spend money on sending traffic to your site, what are all of the tools you can provide on your site to be able to capture that person? So obviously, adding a pixel and stuff like that is simple, but using apps um, to basically drive the person to stay on your site longer is what we've seen the best. So um, one of the, you know, one of the other successful campaigns we run is, is our exit campaign, our exit pop-up, right? Like right before someone tries to exit, hey, stop. Um, you know, we're gonna show you an extra special offer, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, even those little pop-ups where it shows you the people who have what they've bought recently on our website. Um, those are really helpful for other people because they see the most common and frequented purchases popping up every so often. Our, our best seller is the, the collagenic burn, right? Our burn product. That's popping up as a free, recently bought pretty much every other minute. Um, yeah. And I think that helps. It helps It helps the buyer. So I think anything where don't just start and add stickers on your website, you know, or things that you think will help really try and add things that are going to uh, create a solution for the, the, the buyer. And constantly, obviously, examine the ROI that you're getting in relation to the cost. Yeah. Just on the X and 10 pop-ups, have you found a specific tool that is able to do that effectively on mobile? On the exit one? Yep. Um, so I, I, it's tough, right? Because there, there is, there's no such thing as like an X um, on the mobile. Yep. Um, no, nothing has been successful in terms of the trigger. 
Yeah. I think it's more so, um, I, I think there's a certain level of scroll we do it at, you know, or if there is somebody that's hovering a little bit above the menu, that's really kind of what our triggers are. But um, there's really no way because the, the X button has basically been eradicated. Um, yeah. yeah. Swipe up and remove. Um, and I don't think anything's been there as a solution um, just yet. I know a couple of them have said they've got X intense on mobile, but I agree. I don't think anything has provided the solution to that just yet. Yeah. Just, no. Yeah. Just to touch on the pop up again as well. I noticed uh, before when I was browsing the website, you guys deliver the coupon immediately upon sign up in the post success window. Obviously, I'm assuming that you've done that because it has a better impact on conversion rates as opposed to sending the user to the email and then they're having to click through the email. Is that why you've structured it that way? Yeah, yeah, we did it that way. Um, we, I think one of the things both um, me and my partner Ashley works heavily on the, the paid marketing and then on the website side, I think both of our theory is, is if someone's on the site, we don't want to take them off. Yeah. We have money to get them there. Um, we're, we're, we're showing them everything we can on the site to take them off. And, and I think this even goes through with our theory on why we don't use Attentive as our um, SMS platform. Interesting. Because they want to send you the discount code through SMS, yeah. obviously. But you literally, the action you have to take on mobile is you have to go off that web page and then get the code in your mobile yeah, SMS. I don't. I don't believe that you know people who are ready to buy right now are going to be ready to buy in the next minute to two minutes, right? We see the bounce rates. Average bounce rate is 30, 40 seconds. You can't imagine these people are going to go to their text message now. What if a friend texted them, right? They could lose the entire shopping experience on that moment. So yeah. we like to keep everything as much as possible on site. Especially when you've paid so much initially to get them there, it's to kind of buy that traffic doesn't make much sense. I agree with you. 100%. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about um, you mentioned attentive before, and I know obviously I've, I've even seen inside your Clavio accounts a few months ago. Yep. How are you using them in a harmonious way? Because I see like some strange war at the moment going on uh, LinkedIn where it's like SMS versus email where I don't know why people are trying to put them against each other, which is just stupid to me. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. How are you using them in like a harmonious way that they complement each other in terms of like abandoned courts, flows, and how you um, campaigns as well in addition to that? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a good point. I, I see that a lot too, where it's like SMS for email, which one's better? Well, both, both are great, right? Yeah. Um, there, isn't, uh, there isn't a better, um, and, and in fact, there should never be one or the other either. Um, I think the way we strategize things is, is what's our messaging or what's our campaign. And then once we have that aligned, so I'll give you an example. We're la we launched our Black Friday sale, right? Um, when we launched that, our messaging was 25% off plus up to four free gifts. Now, once you have that message, under that layer sits where does that message go? Yeah. Right? So you take your SMS, you take your email, we have our Facebook community. Um, your Instagram ad, your stories, all of the places you can talk to someone. That's where we start creating assets for those. Yeah. Um, and then we streamline the launch. So the only thing we, we pit SMS and email against is timing, where it's almost ineffective to send an SMS and email at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because you want to use 
both of them as different points of point of action. So what, what we'll do is we'll take our messaging, we'll keep everything very consistent, whether it's abandoned cart or a single, single campaign, we'll keep yes. the message across both, but we'll separate the timing where one's in the morning, one's in the evening. Um, this way you get two coverage points um, and you're getting, you know, multiple um, uh, touch points from, from the consumer level. Yes. I, I really think they both should be used. Um, I, we still see success in our Clavio account just as much as we do in our PostScript account. Interesting. Okay, so you're using PostScript to send the SMSs. We are. Out of curiosity, have you experimented with Clavio to do that, or are you, um, yeah? We have, um, I think it's a bit clunky on using S, uh, uh, MMS and um, yeah. setting up certain things, uh, even setting up certain flows. Um, I think, I think again, you know, we, we would go, I'll, I'll circle this back to what we talked about initially. There are brands or companies or agencies or networks that are very niche for what they do. Clavio has been known to be an email, you know, it, it's, it's an, it's an EP, ESP, right? And at the end of the day, they are great as an ESP, which you'll probably agree. Yeah. Um, Postscript is a MMS platform that is known to do SMS and MMS, and they do it extremely well. Their entire um, entire um, uh, uh, platform is built around that, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of like sometimes you utilize, at least in our theory, is you utilize what a platform is known for and yeah. give it that specialization. Um, of course, there's a theory of bringing everything in under one you know, roof, but I see PostScript trying to do email too, but it's, it's not the same. And I see Cloud trying to do SMS. And in my opinion, um, at least from what we've experienced, I just don't think it's the same. Um, and so you go to, go to the platform, go to the agency that is known to do something specialized, because you'll probably get the 100% effort out of it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And any small additional um, increase in cost will probably be mitigated by overall ROI by just using the best solution. I suppose one of the challenges is having enough people in-house competent at all the different softwares that it's not like a tech overwhelm, like you said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's that's exactly it is, is um, sometimes a learning curve on, on a platform that's offering another service becomes more than just using a, a different service that's specialized for it. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. I want to talk a little bit about how you survey customers to create new products because I've seen in another LinkedIn Live you did, you mentioned that you were talking to customers in private Facebook groups that Obvi has to create new products. I've never seen a brand, at least one that doesn't have massive funding behind it, like hit the markets as fast as you guys have and created so many different variations of flavors and products. Like, what's the secret to that success? Yeah, no, I think um, I think the biggest thing that we set out to be um, back in June when we launched Brand is um, the one success we've seen that's, that a lot of brands sometimes may start with but will lose it along the way somewhere, but has been very successful is being completely consumer-centric. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're, com if you're completely consumer-centric, it takes up the guessing game, um, which, is what sometimes causes a failure for brands or causes a stoppage. Um, we don't we don't want to guess because we're not good at guessing. So we rather just get the answer, right? Um, yeah. Getting the answer is is really just asking. 
Um, and for us asking, uh, what we've done is created and navigated ways to ask. Um, survey is, is huge. Um, we try to do this probably, I would say once every quarter, um, where we're basically asking our customers, um, what do you guys want? You know, just, just tell us. And obviously we don't keep it super open-ended. We give them an option of eight to 10 things. Um, we give them an option of 10 to 15, 20 flavors, and they'll order, you know, they'll put it in their order. Um, and then we'll pick the top three, four, and move along the next quarter with those. Um, it's how we've been able to streamline our entire year. It's how we've taken out, I think, really the, I think the, the stress that comes with launching new things. Um, yeah. Like we had our planning meeting, um, I think it was a couple of days ago for 2021. Um, and we already um, have approved all 12 launches that we have next year for flavors, because we're doing one every month, um, already done for the entire year, right? We're already talking about January, 2022 now. Um, that's the one we haven't figured out. But we did that because we actually, we took it from the survey, what were the flavors people wanted? And how do we slate this in and tie it into our marketing and this and that? So now at least what we're focus, fo uh, focusing on is just innovation and pipeline stuff, which yeah. we asked in the survey. And we're just, what we really do is take the survey results and then say, all right, well, where does this fit in to our marketing calendar? Where does this fit into our launch calendar? You know, how many labels does Unkit, our designer, um, have to do? And, and really kind of take out the guessing game. So, um, and then when we're launching these products, the customers know they want it because they help pick it. So yeah. um, it, you're, part of it is simplifying it, and then the other part of it is taking out any um, any guesswork from, from our end. I remember reading a stat actually a while back, something along the lines of 80% of new product launches fail. Yeah, yeah. Don't the market. It's crazy. You think how much lost money there must be to research and development and obviously marketing and things like that. Exactly. Um, no, that, that's the, I, I've read actually something very similar to that. Um, and it's an extremely high rate. And, you know, part of it is, is it's, it's cool to maybe you have a really big innovation team or R&D team and maybe it's good that, hey, this is what they think. But when you boil it down, an idea is still being come up by three or four people, right? Yeah. And three or four people sometimes still, even if they're the, the, the leading innovator, sometimes they still cannot get what the market wants. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you just take out all of that, that's, that's really our goal is we don't want to, we don't want to guess. Um, we'll let you guess. And, and we, we hope that you, you're asking for what you want. Definitely. On the flip side of that, how do you stay consumer focused as you scale? Does that make unrealistic expectations maybe to have such like an attentiveness direct to consumer? Like how do you manage that and temper it with the growth? Yeah, um, you know what? Um, I think it, I'd be lying to you if we said if we had an answer already, but because I think we're in midst it, right? We're in midst mm -hmm. that hyper growth. Um, and, and the pros to it is we're seeing it um, kind of just unfold day over day. Um, our community, which is now the second largest Facebook community um, in, 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 on Facebook for collagen, um, it has 18,000 members now and it's growing by about 100 to 200 per day. That in itself is its own beast, right? Um, you're talking about 100 to 200 posts per day 
We have a team of nine admins and moderators just helping answering comments. Um, they're wonderful people. Um, but the point being here um, is how can we, how much can we keep asking people for their opinions um, before you get to the point where, hey, it's super kind of, um, the spectrum is too wide, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's where decision-making has to come into play. Um, I don't think we've hit that yet. You know, we're, like I said, we're, we're probably what, around 50 to 60,000 customers um, since the start of our, our brand. Um, I don't think it's, it's too big, um, but I think it can get there where if you're talking about you, you want to survey 100, 200,000 customers and you're picking the best results, it's going to be trickier, right? Because your, your, your results are going to be uh, much more varied and vast. Um, but I, I think until we get to a point where it's like, hey, guys, this is, this is becoming a split decision, I think we can still rely on them. Um, but you have to keep that in mind where as, as it grows, like you said, um, what, what is right now split between 80-20 can become 70-30, 60-40. And um, we're we're keeping an eye on that, you know. It's it's it um it nice problems to have. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. And where do you get this this Facebook group community thing is something I've spoke to a few e-commerce owners about and like it's something that intrigues me because you're almost I know Facebook can be a very expensive platform, but you're migrating them into a more intimate community where you can have that direct conversation with them. Um, like how are you choosing the moderators and the ambassadors, the people who moderate that group? Are these um, customers who you've sort of groomed and vetted or are these just people that you've employed directly to help out? No, that's a phenomenal question. Um, when you're building this community, um, it, it almost is this domino effect, right? Um, the energy you start with is what's going to keep the dominoes rolling, right? And see how you can get. Um, we were very blessed with um, having one of, so our, 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 um, our, our, our director of, of the community is, her name is Brittany. Um, and she's actually um, someone who started with Obvi just being a, 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 a model for our, our photography. Um, that we had done back in June uh, when we launched the brand. And she quickly just turned into loving the brand, loving the energy around the brand, um, really takes every single product every single day for the last 18 months. Um, and she became a part of where, hey, well, why don't you help us out with this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you try this? And she's really turned the community into uh, her baby. You know, you'll probably see her a lot in, 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 as the face of our brand. And what, what she's cultivated under her um, is a system of, she spots out other people who are just as excited about the brand as she once was. Yeah. Um, and she recruits them to basically say, and again, they're not employed by Obvi, um, but she recruits them and says, hey, you know, of course there's some perks of, you know, we'll give you some product every month, but these are people who are already were customers that yeah. are truly, truly, um, you know, huge fans of the brand, um, huge um, around their testimonials, have really seen serious results. Like we've seen um, uh, the first two of our admins that Brittany had recruited, um, their names were um, uh, Vicky and Chelsea and Sherry. Those three women actually, they were such big believers of the brand because they also saw life-changing results in their life. 
Um, some got de-stressed, some lost serious amount of weight, some were able to really change their whole lifestyle with a keto diet. And then under them, they were able to recruit another six moderators. Mm -hmm. um, become this tree of kind of just recruiting people based on the love and passion. Um, yeah, there's no like, you know, financial benefit besides, of course, we, we, we try and give them some product and stuff, but um, it's truly customers that have seen life changing and altering moments throughout. And that's what you want, obviously, isn't it? That loyal foot soldiers on the ground driving the brands forward for you because then the engagement feels authentic and natural. Exactly. And, and, and that's, I think we can't, um, we can't thank them enough. Um, I think we always in the office too, we're always talking about how much of a difference they make. You know, I can tell any random person to go and spend 15 minutes in our community and yeah. may or may not like Obvi's products, but they will love the energy, the energy, the, the, the energy and the actual authenticity that comes through the community. Awesome. Well, it sounds like Brittany might be coming for that CEO job soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'd be, it'd be a, it'd be an honor. I'm going to end on some um, quick fire questions. I think there might have been an issue with the stream at some point, but we'll definitely post the recording afterwards. What do you think the most underrated marketing channel and strategy is for direct to consumer? Underrated? Underrated. Ooh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I, I truly think is utilizing influencers in the sense of um, kind of how we're we're going about it, which is utilizing them for their um, presence and running ads through their networks. Um, obviously, uh, influencers has always been seen as oh, pay to post and yeah. they post a story or Instagram ad this and that. I think what we've seen success with is actually utilizing their um, their network to actually run ads through um, yeah. and dark posting and whitelisting. Um, that's been Something that's very successful, and I see, you know, a lot of brands are doing it, but I don't think it's widely spoken about as the new way to kind of really do influencer marketing. How do you gauge the ROI with influencer marketing? Because I feel as though that is a lot of the, should we say, hostility towards the channel. Is people have that misconception where it's like Kim Kardashian posting a picture, you know, of a, yeah, a product, yeah. and that's influencer marketing. Like, how do you? do that in a way that's like conducive to ROI and obviously positive for the brands as well. Yeah, I think, I think that's why we've taken this approach. Um, both me and my partner, we're not fans of looking at, um, oh, well, this story brought in 500 visitors and maybe some sales or this discount code. Um, I think those days are kind of getting wrapped up. Um, but the, the way of the way we're doing, which is actually running, taking their platform and running ads through their platform, where the ad of obvious coming from them. Oh, um, interesting. That's the that's the strategy that is fully calculated. You get to see it. it it's it's like running ads, right? You, you get to see the ROI, you see the ROAS, but it's coming through their platform, and that's what's been very successful. It's very interesting. To be completely honest, that's new to me. I hadn't heard of that before, so. Definitely need to up my game on the influencer marketing side. <laughs> no, it's it's definitely different. Um, it's unique in the approach, but I think what's what's good about it is um, it lets you have to less rely on. Again, I paid three thousand dollars for this post, and I don't know if I'm even going to make my money back. Yeah, very interesting. 
D2C or B2B, what do you prefer for building a new brand? D2C. Um, I, think, I think our B2B side of our business, which I would say is about, let's say, 25% uh, or 20%, um, it's a great pillar to our business um, because we're getting mass exposure yeah. in, in terms of getting into the hands of people. Um, but we're not getting as much awareness as we do when we're running D2C ads and, mm-hmm. and you know, people on our website. You know, it's, it feels really good when you see um, 200, 300,000 new people on your website every month. Um, yeah. is, you know, B2B is good, but I don't know how many eyeballs are actually looking at our product in the store, right? Um, yeah. and, you know, it could be more, it could be less, but at least through here, we get to control the narrative. Whereas in B2B, you have to rely either on the store, the rep, or the consumer that's walking in to build their own narrative around the product. Good stuff. What would your, I asked you this as well when we did our interview for the magazine, but and you could just summarize like any new e-commerce owners who wants to get involved in the game, like what would your advice be to people starting out so they don't crash and burn? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I think um, really find what is missing in the space. Um, I see, you know, I think we all see it a lot is we see the drop shipping a lot. We see the products that are, you know, private labeled and, you know, those are great. I think those are great ways to start off and learn. Um, but if you're trying to build, I think, a brand, um, yeah. you have that differentiation point question answered before you start. Um, you know, that's even for us with Obvi, um, we wanted to say, you know, how can we confidently say that every product we come out with is first to market? What do we need to do to the formula, the packaging, the label? Um, and if you can, if you can confidently say your product has some element to it that is first to market, then you go and ride that wave. Um, but other than that, you know, if you're just kind of starting out and, and testing products and this and that, and um, I don't think that's a that's a a wrong approach. I think building a brand becomes a bit trickier. Good stuff. So ultimately, if you're not solving a problem, then don't enter the market. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I think so. Uh, or, or you know, enter the market, but don't expect to build a brand because yeah. a brand signifies that you are trying to do something different. Definitely, completely agree. Ron, it's been a pleasure. Um, how can people contact you if they want to speak more? Sure. Um, so I think the best is email. My first name R O N A K Ronak at myobvi.com. Um, always there. Follow me on Instagram um, at the dedicated. Um, either one. Um, always happy to to talk and always a pleasure talking to you, Adam. Uh, it's uh, it's great to always catch up. Likewise, mates. I'm gonna end this broadcast now, so I will post it online. Tons of gold nuggets in there for anyone who wants to get started with e-commerce, and we'll end this now. Cheers, Ron. Wonderful. Thank you, Adam.